Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Here we go. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope you had a good weekend. I am back. We are on the air. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Yes, we had a few days off last week. I hope it didn't ruin your routine too much to have us gone, but we are back, and there's a lot of soccer to cover. We are going to attempt to hit on everything that's happened, at least over the weekend, and perhaps even going back to Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday when I was not here, uh, when I had to step aside and take a, uh, a brief trip down south to uh, say goodbye to a family member. So here we go. We will uh, have open phone lines today. I'm looking forward to this program. Right now, it is an open show. We're, we're working on a couple of things. It's hard coming out of the weekend. People slow to respond. Got the, they've got the work they got to do on a Monday. Uh, so it may be an open show, which means plenty of room for phone calls. And there, again, there are a lot of things to talk about. And I think, I, I think we have to start here with the most, most momentous news in the world, not just in soccer. And that is the terrorist attacks in Paris that hit the football world. Uh, in addition to obviously being, uh, incredibly tragic, the 129 people dying in those attacks in Paris. Lasana Diara's uh, cousin, Asta Diakite, was killed in the attacks, confirmed by the France midfielder. And in Antoine Griezmann's sister escaped the attacks at the Bataclan Theater um, just uh, uh, by sheer luck, I imagine. Very tragic. Both of those teams, France and, and Germany, and you know the story by now, they played out that game. They went ahead. Uh, authorities decided it was best to avoid uh, panic in the stadium at the Stade de France and played out that 90 minutes. Both those teams, due to security concerns, remained in the stadium overnight. Um, the 129 people killed in the attacks, most of them then again at the Bataclan Theater. An individual attempted to get into the stadium with a suicide bomb attached uh, to his chest, uh, was turned away, and then detonate, detonated that bomb. And it's important to remember um, in this moment, again, we are focused on the soccer here, but this is a much more important event. And I don't want to talk about, I don't want to get into like what, how France played or how Germany played or anything like that. That, that is, um, uh, that's grotesque in this moment. I do want to recognize a security official. Uh, who turned away that bomber and prevented him from getting into the stadium. I, I don't have his name in front of me trying to get my thoughts and, and notes together this morning, but he absolutely deserves uh, recognition for that her uh, heroic deed. Um, and again, I, I believe he lost his life uh, when that bomb went off. Uh, but we do have, again, we do have some ramifications due to these attacks on French football and certainly on the Euros in 2016. Euro 2016 organizer Jacques Lambert says the tournament will not be canceled or moved and that security will be heightened to deal with the terrorist threats. Now, that's in the moment. That's coming out of the very emotional events um, that happened in France on Saturday. But we are, uh, sorry, Friday, we are trying to assess what this means going forward. I'm sure Jacques Lambert, as the organizer, French football, the, the UEFA authorities will all look at these situations. There could be some sort of change. Um, in the meantime, there are now political ramifications. There are uh, militaristic ramifications to these events in Paris. The French have responded aggressively towards the individuals who committed these atrocities, and that could impact how the football uh, eventually comes out in France. France in 2016, or, or just from now, at least, and through uh, through summer 2016. Uh, meanwhile, the full France squad will travel to England for a friendly tomorrow. That's in spite of all of this. Um, whether or not that's the right decision is in the eye of the beholder. Um, it is certainly a 
resolute position to say we are not going to allow terrorists to uh to to change the way that we go about our lives that they're not going to impact um certainly soccer and, and the soccer that that represents so much of the the people's will a a, a force for good a force for um uh, uh, football being a force that brings people together certainly the french people and, and now perhaps even more around the world as um as these events unfold we will obviously continue to talk about what they could mean for football but also keep in mind that that is a, a, a of while while football has a role to play it is certainly not the end all be all and we have a uh, big much bigger things uh, to deal with here in relation to uh, terrorist attacks around the world the New York Cosmos of the 2015 NASL champions after a 3-2 win over the Ottawa Fury at Short Stadium in New York. Argentine striker Gaston Celerino scored a hat trick to lead the Cosmos to the victory. Raul and Marco Senna go out as champions in their final professional game. Lots of retrospectives on Raul's career. Certainly um, a, a legend at Real Madrid uh, making news around the world as the Cosmos lift what is being called their seventh trophy. I may have some uh, pedantic issues with calling it their seventh NASL championship based on the continuity problems, but alas, it is the Cosmos under that name uh, uh, winning a championship for the seventh time. The United States men's national team is in Port of Spain preparing for a World Cup qualifier against Trinidad and Tobago tomorrow night. This comes, of course, after Friday's game in which the United States beat St. Vincent and the Grenadines 6-1 at Bush Stadium in St. Louis. Uh, Jurgen Klinsmann facing some difficult questions over how to set his team out. Uh, Trinidad and Tobago presents a much more difficult challenge, certainly on the road, than St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And remember, the Americans went down in that game on Friday in the first five minutes. Uh, so there's certainly some defensive problems along the right side if you imagine a better team being able to victimize DeAndre Yedlin and Giasi Zardes. Hungary has qualified for their first major tournament in 30 years after beating Norway 3-1 on aggregate in a European Championship playoff. The last time Hungary appeared in a major tournament tournament was Mexico 86. So uh, very few of the individuals involved in this Hungary team were even born in 1986, the last time Hungary uh, went to the uh, went to a major tournament. And of course, this is a, a country with a rich legacy, going back to, to Puskas and, and those, uh, those um, magnificent Magyars. Other European playoffs, U- Ukraine took a 2-0 aggregate lead on Saturday over Slovenia. Sweden is up 2-1 over Denmark uh, after the first leg. And Bosnia-Herzegovina and Ireland drew 1-1 in their first leg. Second leg is today in Dublin. We'll see how that plays out. 2.45 p.m. Eastern is kickoff. The U.S. U-23s fell 5-1 to Brazil in the second of a pair of friendlies down there as they prepare to get ready for a playoff against Colombia for the right to go to the 2016 Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. Not a good performance from the United States. Lots of questions for Andy Herzog. Some players he might want available, not available, certainly because of MLS Cup playoffs, uh, but there you go. Bob Bradley began his tenure at La Havre with a 2-1 French Cup loss to 6th Division side St. Omer. Not a good start for Bob Bradley. Of course, he's going to have to get involved and understand his team and understand how to play uh, the soccer he wants to play uh, in short order. He doesn't have much time here. This is walking into a brand-new situation. No, it's no excuse for losing to a 6th Division team. Uh, but it's uh, it's it's just a, a recognition that it's going to be difficult for Bob Bradley if he's going to continue his climb up the ladder in Europe, and he needs to figure this out and fairly quickly. All right, there's your news on a Monday. Let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll get the phone lines open. You got to call me. Tell me what happened. Tell me what I missed. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com.
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, we are back on Soccer Morning. It just so happens that when you take a couple of days off and you come back, things are all uh, a little out of whack. They're a little out of whack this morning, but we are back on the air. It's good to be here. I'm, I'm trying to, to, to get my legs underneath me and catch up. I mean, to, to be honest with you, last week was a no, the last couple of days of last week were a no soccer zone for me. I was in a, a period where there wasn't a chance to really follow what was going on. And I got back home Friday night trying to make sure I'm, I'm keeping an eye on USA against St. Vincent and the Grenadines because, uh, you know, there's, well, that's a minnow and the United States was always going to win that game. It was a matter of performance. It was a matter of how we feel going into the game against Trinidad and Tobago, which is obviously a much more difficult challenge. How we feel about Jurgen Klinsmann and his team and his player selection and everything else. And that's all on the table here. Phone lines are open, 646-832, excuse me, 3909. Uh, if you have thoughts, concerns, questions, uh, you just want to express something about Paris, about France, about where the, the football sits in all of that, where, where, whatever, whatever is on your mind today, here's your opportunity. 646-832-3909. Certainly, um, worth, uh, celebrating the New York Cosmos and their title. Uh, the, the last game for Raul as he goes out as a professional soccer player of incredible, incredible achievement. I mean, you know, it's very difficult. Like I said, there's a lot of retrospectives on Raul's career right now. Bouncing around the internet. BBC Sport. Real Madrid great ends 21 year career with title. Uh, Raul signs off his brilliant career in style. Um, New York Cosmos bid farewell to Raul with title victory. I'm just looking at, I just did a Google search for the name Raul. And this is a 38 year old guy came to the United States to close out his career. Just amazing that he, that his influence is now something that will stick to the new New York Cosmos for the foreseeable future. For as long as they exist, they will always be the team that Raul finished his career with, and that that will ha- that will mean something for them. It, it'll mean something that Marco Senna was there as well. But it was it certainly it, it's certainly good for the Cosmos and this project because that's what it is. The project, everything in American soccer on some level is a project, guys. Everything in American soccer has some some semblance of we're just trying some stuff. We're just, we're just going out there and trying some, we don't really know exactly what's going to work. We don't have a, we don't have a, a, a book to go on. There's no soccer, soccer, running an American soccer club for dummies. That doesn't exist. Maybe we should write one. Can I get a, can I, can I get a commission to write that book? Cause I, I'd write it. I'd obviously talk to some people, but we could write that book. And so far, I mean, if we're talking about the New York Cosmos in the big picture, they made a dent. They've shown up and put a stamp on American soccer. They got Raul. They got Marco Senna. They got two titles in in three years. 
They've spent some money. Not crazy money, I don't think. They, they're still working on that stadium situation. That's, that's a, a, a drag on them, just like it's a drag on other American soccer teams. Certainly MLS still has clubs on which the stadium situation is a drag. Because we don't know what the Cosmos will be. We don't know how, how great a club they can be or whether or not their influence in the NASL is for good or bad. And, and, and I think there is a difference of opinion. Because a lot of NASL proponents, fans of that league, and hey, hey, more power to you, believe that that league is the future. And that the Cosmos are a major part of that. And certainly their presence brings a cachet to the league that they would not have otherwise. Uh, you can have the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, you can have the Tampa Bay Rowdies, uh, you can have whatever. That's They're not the New York Cosmos. They're not the legacy of the New York Cosmos. And, and uh, yes, while I expressed some issues with the continuity of the NASL and saying, oh, they've won seven NASL titles. I mean, the, under those headings, they have done that. And that legacy from the original NASL still carries weight in 2015. The question is, how much weight? Now the question for the Cosmos is, can they move into that future, realize that legacy? Because playing at Short Stadium on the campus of Hofstra University on Long Island is not going to get it done. They know that. I'm not saying anything anybody doesn't know. They know where they stand. They know what their future can be, but they have to find a path to that future. And as with so many professional sports outfits, they find that when they go to build that stadium and they look to get that plan in place, so they can put the shovels in the ground, put together a pop, proper venue for their sport, they're, they've had roadblocks. They've had red tape. They've had pushback. The Cosmos legacy does not carry so far that the people at the State House in Albany are just going to sign off on whatever the Cosmos want. That doesn't happen. You have to be an NFL team to get anything approaching that sort of consideration. Let's go to 703. Who's this? Hey, this is Rob. Hey, Rob. What's going on? Hey, uh, a couple things. You know, it's kind of a you know sad week for starting off here. Uh, I just want to express my condolences to you. Uh, uh, I know you had a lot going on with your family, but uh, um, you know, also you know, a lot of losses in France. One of which, uh, reportedly, and this has been, uh, I guess, confirmed by the Liverpool Echo, um, one of the guys that ran the fan club uh, for Everton in Paris uh, was among uh, those at the concert uh, on on Friday. So, uh, you know, definitely puts a lot of things in perspective, yeah. and uh, you know, uh, it's just a terrible loss. Uh, you know, all those. All those people in in Paris and, and other events around the world, and yeah. uh, you know, Rob, just go ahead, crazy. Sorry. Yeah, I, you know, I, no, I, no, no, I'm, I'm trying, to, and I'm trying, and you know, as I do this show, as I wake up on Monday morning, having known what's happened in Paris, having looked, having seen the stories about the the suicide bomber who tried to get into the stadium, knowing that France and Germany played out that game and then had to stay in the stadium because of the security issues, all of the, you know, how do I approach this, right? I mean, how do I? I, I can I can only imagine how how people reporting on sports had to do it on on September 12th you know what i mean like that's uh, well, 2001 absolutely and, and and you and and this is one of those days and and uh you know i am a big you know football fan just like you are uh, i mean obviously you're a bigger fan than me you make your living doing it but <laughs> um uh you know sports takes a backseat on on you know, days like this. Right. But at, know, the, and, and at the same and, time, and, though, and, you know, it will go on. The game will go on and right. people will get comfort by watching the game. But, yeah, you know, you 
you kind of have to hit the pause button for yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I appreciate the I appreciate the call, Rob. It's a, it's a it, it's an important sentiment together. We, the the sentiment that we are confused, that we're that we're floating here, that we don't really know how to handle all of this, I think is an important one. If anybody, uh, if anybody's having sound issues with the show, just let me know. We're just we're just trying to get things sorted out here. If you're listening on the audio feed and you're having any particular issue with the sound, let me know uh, so we can try to fix that. In the meantime, 646-832-3909. I, I missed a call from my friend Sean Reed uh, who called the old number. Sean, call the new number, 646-832-3909. And I think I missed somebody else as well. Uh, keep them coming. If you don't get in right away, we're not screening at the moment. So you're not going to have Trevor setting you up. You're going to have to, um, you're going to have to wait for me to get to you. Just be patient. I promise we will eventually get to you. Uh, a couple of things on Twitter here. Uh, off the, tra- off on track, 88, tra- sorry, at 88 train on Twitter. Let me do it that way. At 88 train. Why didn't the Cosmos join MLS when they came back? Uh, I think the simple answer is because they didn't want to. The more complicated answer, the more nuanced answer is, uh, it was never really in the best interest of either the Cosmos or MLS to bring them into the fold. Uh, I think MLS had their, their, their very, um, their, 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 their they had an expansion process that they wanted to follow, that they had established. There was control from MLS HQ that they exerted on the expansion process that the Cosmos was not, the, the Cosmos were not going to allow that sort of control. And that's Cosmos right. It's absolutely the Cosmos right. Uh, the people that own that name and decided to restart that team, it's their right to say, well, we don't want to go through your expansion process or we don't want to have to check all of those boxes in the way you want us to check them. We, we think we've got this thing going. We're ready to, we're ready to move. And I think MLS wanted, uh, something, uh, new and fresh that they could, I mean, for, for the, for the, the lack of a better way, own. Something that they could own. Okay, I'm told that there's an echo. I, I'm, I'm not sure what the problem is with the echo, guys. Uh, we will try to fix that. Perhaps we can take a break here at, at some point in the near future. In the meantime, if you can deal with it, 646-832-3909 is the phone number. The podcast will sound great. If you listen back on the podcast, it's going to sound fine. The other question on the Cosmos. Uh, how about NYCFC and Cosmos split stadium and let them into MLS? Okay, well, again... I don't think the Cosmos are interested in, this, in, the, uh, in the MLS at this, this point. And the reason they're not interested in MLS is a lot of reasons. And again, it goes back to control. It goes back to what the Cosmos want to be able to do on their own that MLS membership will not allow them to do. Now, you can castiga- uh, castigate MLS for that system that prevents the Cosmos from wanting to join if you want to. That's certainly a legitimate way to look at it. Oh, if the MLS, if MLS would only do this, this, and this, or only allow their teams to sign individual kit contracts, or allow their teams to do X, Y, and Z, spend the type of money they want to spend, maybe the Cosmos would be in MLS. And that's true. But that's a, uh, that's obviously, um, the league, MLS, choosing to go against the system that they've used for 20 years. To go against exactly what brought them to this moment. Because MLS, and I think rightfully so, can point to their system and say, the system is why we are here. The system is why we have so many stadiums open that are soccer-specific. The, 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 the system is why we are a, an ongoing concern and didn't collapse in 2001 or at any point since then. Uh, our system is what allows our ownership, our, our, uh, in other words, our investors, 
to be comfortable moving forward with this soccer thing. Because if you didn't have those checks, if you didn't have those restrictions and, and you didn't have that conservative approach, I think a lot of these people would have pulled out already. And, and, you know, that doesn't mean that it's the right way to go for American soccer. It doesn't mean that this, this means the most for American soccer moving forward. It doesn't mean that MLS and their way of doing business provides for the best possible future for American soccer. It means that's what we've got now. And what we want to see is movement. What we want to see is progress. What we want to see is a relaxation of those restrictions because it is clear that MLS has crested a hill. Is it, have they, have they climbed the mountain? No. I don't think anybody would argue that MLS has, has reached the summit or, or established themselves on such a level that there's no doubt anymore. I think what we've got is a league that has grown by leaps and bounds in the last 10 years or so and is now trying to maximize their growth while at the same time recognizing their limitations. I mean, we spent we, last Wednesday or two, did I do a show on Wednesday? I didn't. Last Tuesday. We talked about the MLS Cup playoff ratings on television and they're how they're not good and they weren't good. And the league chose to go up against the NFL, the league and their broadcast partners who had space on Sunday decided to go up against the NFL and it turned out to be, um, not a bad, I don't think it's a bad move because what's the alternative? It's the, again, it's this slap in the face realization, cold, uh, cold water being thrown on you. Hey, this is where you are. You might be the seventh most attended league in the world in terms of average attendance, which is something I saw this uh, this morning as I'm looking over headlines. But that doesn't mean that you've fully uh, integrated yourself into American sporting culture, into the routines of American sports fans, much less soccer fans. And the there were some comments coming out of Don Garber this weekend. He's up in New York for BlazerCon. And I read some comments from him. He had to, he he addressed the issue of promotion and relegation. He uh, they the the owners that were there. I think three of them. Joe Roth. By the way, Joe Roth, shut up. Not not at BlazerCon, but shut up. Joe Roth last week. This is one thing I did catch while I was away. The at the Seattle Sounders uh, season ticket holder meeting, whatever they call that thing, made some really stupid comments. So shut up, Joe Roth. The other, the, the other, uh, individuals there, I believe were, um, what's his name? Come on, Trevor, hook me up. I'm just blanking right now. Jonathan Kraft, New England Revolution, and I want to say Phil Rollins. They were there for this. They had, they were part of the panel for the, for the MLS section of the event. And Jonathan Kraft was one of the ones, I read this all, by the way, over at uh, Philly.com, the goalkeeper, Jonathan Tannewald, with a full write-up of events at, at BlazerCon. And it was Jonathan Kraft who was saying, let's, let's spend more money. Let's go out and spend on our, on our team across the board rather than on two or three players. Let's do something that will make our league better by the quality of our teams. He also addressed the stadium situation, which doesn't, doesn't sound good from what he said. I mean, I mean, I'm not saying that he said we're not building a stadium. He said we're trying and there's a new mayor. So maybe it's happening. Well, here, here's the money quote. It's not about spending huge, huge amounts of money on one or two players. And he mentioned NYCFC, which, you know, I'm not criticizing them for what they did because it's a great way to introduce the team into New York. I mean that with the, I mean that with the utmost sincerity. 
ultimately, if we're trying to raise the quality top to bottom across the league, we're going to spend more, we're going to spend more money. If we're going to spend more money, when we spend more money, it should be across more of the roster. Thank you. I mean, I don't know if he, if he means it. I don't know if he'd follow through, but please, this is what, that's what MLS needs. And and MLS needs ownership champions, investor champions, board of governor champions for that particular cause. And more than a few. There needs to be, there needs to be critical mass on, hey, let's, let's, look, this is, it's great that we brought him back him. And on replayed here, and oh my gosh, David Villa and Andrea Pirlo and Frank Lampard and Steven Gerrard and, uh, and all of these guys. And we got Clint Dempsey back and, and we got, and Michael Radley's in Toronto. Fantastic. But now let's try something different. Or now let's try to level the playing field a little bit. You're, 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 you're not going to get, you're not going to get MLS to say, let's stop spending six million dollars on one or two players. That's, that's going to be a, a, a thing that they, they're going to do into the future. Because I think they see the benefit there. I think they believe there's a specific benefit to that mode of operation. But what you need in order to improve the overall quality of the league, if that's your goal, then it is to spend more across the board. Now, that could get us into a whole discussion about whether or not a rise in quality, which can sometimes be subjective and certainly can take years, not just what, it's not like you're going to change the, 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 it's not like you're going to change the look of the league overnight because you say, let's go spend on players, uh, you know, three through 25 or three through 15 or three through 10. That's not going to happen in one season. It's going to be a slower burn. So then it becomes the argument of, well, is that really the thing that is going to improve those TV ratings I just mentioned? The, the perception of the league, Amongst a, an American soccer fan base, but that's let, let's be honest here. And a lot of you are this guy and, and, and it's fine, but this is the thing that MLS has to recognize. An American soccer fan base that is made up of a lot of people who don't watch MLS. So MLS, and, and this is not, the burden does not fall on the fan. I don't think I've ever said that. And if I did, it was eight years ago before, b- before I really thought about this, this issue, before I really began to understand where where MLS sits. The, the burden is not on the fan to go watch MLS. You don't have to watch MLS if you're an American soccer fan. No one's saying you have to watch MLS. There's an argument that live and local is always better, but that, I mean, it's your life, your choice. You decide to consume what you consume. If you listen to bad music, it's not my place to say, well, you have an obligation to listen to better music. If you enjoy that bad music, that's bad to me. Again, matter of perception. Matter of where you stand, the general consensus is not always right. It's not an issue of right or wrong. So the burden falls on Major League Soccer. The burden falls on all of those individuals who sit around that table at the Board of Governors meetings and decide what to do next. Because there's always a next. I can't imagine how different it is to be part of that MLS brain trust as opposed to say the brain trust of the Premier League. For one thing, you have you have clubs in the Premier League whose profile, whose popularity far outstrips any notion of we need to be in this all team. I mean, you're not going to get Bournemouth and Manchester United to agree on a plan of attack for growing their league. And, and honestly, at this point, maybe they're not concerned about that. Certainly Bournemouth's concerned about their own individual 
fortunes and how they managed to stay in the Premier League. How do we stay in the Premier League? Okay, let's do X, Y, and Z. But then there, when there's, when, when there's a meeting here at, at, at the Premier League headquarters, I know, assuming, assuming that's in London somewhere, and Scudamore and, and whoever the marketing team of, of the Premier League sit around, you know what they're doing? They're tweaking. They're going, they're, they're, they're looking for new avenues. They're going, we're huge. It's like the NFL, right? Let me use the NFL as the, uh, as the, uh, the example instead of Premier League, because that's an, an American product, right? Going for the same market as MLS. Essentially, the same group of sports fans, writ large. The NFL's not going, hey, man, we got to figure out what to do next so we can be more popular. No, they're going, how do we make more money? Like, we've already got this money. We're already, we're already good. We're, we're on top of the mountain. And, and, you know, obviously it's for, for anybody with a business mindset, it's, it's a continuing, it's a continuing goal to grow your business. I hate the word grow in a verb to using as a, as a verb, but it's there. Grow your, we want to grow our business. It doesn't matter how big you are. This is why billionaires exist because they don't just, they don't get like $50 million, which is enough to live on for the rest of their lives and say, I'm done. I'll see you guys. I'm off to San Tropez. I, I bought my yacht. I'm straight. No, they're saying I want more and more and more and more and more. Sometimes that's individual greed, and sometimes it's just the nature of business. And you have people who are relying on you, and there, there's just this this drive to get bigger and, and, and better. And MLS is still in this growth phase that is not about that. It's not about topping off. That's, the NFL is topping off. The Premier League is topping off. MLS is still trying to fill the tank. We still, we, we still got a lot to go. We're not even a quarter filled yet. So how do we get there? Can we get there? Is there enough fuel? Is there enough? Is there enough that we can do to get us to? Because I'm I'm reading some of these quotes out of the event up in New York. I'm thinking about American soccer as I'm always doing in the in the big context, and I'm and I'm wondering maybe there's a ceiling. Maybe maybe MLS is just going to go into the ceiling, and it's it's that's just the way things are. Maybe American soccer is going to smack into that ceiling. Maybe, maybe there are ways to carve out more attention. Maybe there are. Maybe you could stunt a little, like a radio station, like like a like a celebrity who does something wacky to get attention. Maybe you could stunt. But is that going to pay off in the long term? Is that really how you want to go, grow your business? Paris, uh, sorry, Tolstoy FC, nothing said at BlazerCon can overcome their actions to depress wages during CBA negotiations. Hey, that, you know what? When Jonathan Kraft says something like, we need to spend more across the board on our players, and you, and then you put that up against what happened in the CBA negotiations, yeah. That's not a good look. That's not a good look. That's talking out of both sides of your mouth. Steven underscore MC19. MLS fans have account, have some accountability. Rather than getting defensive, it's far more constructive to talk over a beer or something. Okay. I, I guess. I mean, I, I, I am past Steven Clark. I am past the, I, I am past that notion that American soccer fans have to be out there selling the sport or, or MLS fans specifically selling the league. 
That's not your job. As a fan, that is not your job. If you want to do it, if you want to take it on, if you want to be the guy who says, I want my buddies to be into this league so we can talk about it all the time, fine. That's great. Do that. Please. That, we, we would love to have you, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to stand here and say, oh, this is a, this is a recruitment situation. We got to recruit soldiers for our army to go sell MLS or sell American stuff. You need to be out there all the time talking up this. No. My mantra has always been, you trust the game. You trust the game to do what the game has always done everywhere else. And yeah, uh, the United States of America has been an outlier, uh, a, a, a very different place for a long time, but that was partly down to it being isolated. And, and this, the certain nature of what America is. I don't want to get into that. That's a long, much longer, much more difficult non-soccer discussion. But the American individual nature, the American exceptionalism is eroding. It should erode. It, ha- it has to erode. For us to be part of the world, it has to erode. And guess part of that erosion is the growth of soccer. Now, that does not mean that the soccer we buy into has to be of any certain kind. There's there's no there's no rule here. There's no dictate that says in order for us to be a soccer nation, we have to like this kind of soccer or that kind of soccer. You have to go out and support your local club. In the romantic sense of what soccer's uh, all about and what fan soccer fans have been traditionally, you, yeah, some people have that thought that soccer is meant to be a community event, a community sport, a, a, a civic, an issue of civic pride. That's fair. But this is a world that is shrinking by the day in terms of how we communicate and what is available to us. And if you want to be a soccer fan, you have a lot of ways to do it. You have a lot of ways to do it. Now, I, 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 there are, there are a lot of things here we could unpack that I'm not gonna, that I'm not gonna get into this morning. A lot more things about the way the culture is set up and whether it's about soccer or not about soccer. But that's, again, that's throwing stones that maybe aren't constructive. I'm not gonna sit here and, and try to take down a soccer fan because I don't like the way he's a soccer fan. I've become more laissez-faire over the years. <laughs> By the way, I'm so glad the MLS Cup playoffs come back this weekend. I know we're we're still what six days away, but I'm glad we're they're coming back. That that week, uh, I know we had the we had the the U.S. Uh, national team on Friday. We we'll get them again tomorrow night. But man, this break in the MLS Cup playoffs, all momentum gone. Right? Anything that was about anything that that was indicating this was gaining some steam has now gone out of the equation. And now we get ready for the conference finals. But two weeks is too long. It is. Two weeks is too long to sit here and wait for these playoffs to get back underway. And, and the, the Cosmos winning the NASL championship, they did it during an international break. Now, on one hand, you could argue, well, maybe they stand out a bit because there's no other club soccer happening right now. But on the other, this meant player absences. Bill Peterson had to address this. I mean, when you look at how the Cosmos beat Ottawa, 3-2, close game, lots of goals. You know who was missing for Ottawa? A crucial player, Julian de Guzman. Former Canadian international, guy who played in Spain. Brings a lot to that team. 
And he wasn't there because he was away with Canada. Did I say former Canadian international? Obviously current Canadian international. Otherwise, he wouldn't have gone. So you have an issue of absences in the championship game. I mean, if we're going to criticize MLS for playing through breaks and having absences that affect the legitimacy of their competition, then we absolutely have to throw that at the NASL. That's, that's, I, I don't know. I don't know how you avoid it. Take a, take a longer break, set your playoffs up a little bit later. Uh, the, this is a problem. And this is a problem that does not get fixed unless we switch seasons. As Trevor Hayward would like to see us do. Now, here's a question. If MLS decided to switch seasons, and I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, but let's say MLS decided to switch seasons, does that mean that NASL and USL have to? They have to go along with it, right? I mean, NASL wouldn't necessarily be working with MLS, but if MLS switched their season, can the can NASL operate in the in the normal traditional American calendar and still that still makes sense, or would they have to flip too? USL has to flip, I think. As the de facto reserve division of MLS plus some independent teams, they'd have to flip. Wouldn't make any sense to run that season in opposition to the MLS season. All right, so I'd still try to catch up on everything happening. 646-832-3909. Somebody called, and I couldn't get to For whatever reason, it never popped up for me to answer. I don't know what's going on there. If if you guys do call, I will get to you as soon as I possibly can. So just uh, stick with it. 646-832-3909. Looking at the Bowl World Cup qualifying results. Brazil and Argentina with a draw, 1-1. Peru beating Paraguay. If you look at the standings right now, three games played, so you still have a ways to go. Ecuador on top with nine points, three from three, uh, three wins from three games. Chile in second. Uruguay, Brazil, Paraguay, Colombia, Bolivia, Peru. Down in ninth place, Argentina. Two points, two draws, one goal scored, three goals against. Venezuela bringing up the rear. Not uh, not a huge surprise there to see uh, Venezuela at the bottom, although they had made some strides the last couple of years with their national team program. Uh, Argentina obviously missing Lionel Messi, who's in a race to get back for the for the Clasico. Where does he stand right now? Anybody have an update on Lionel Messi and his and his situation? I heard, I read something briefly that said he was close and that that the the Clasico was definitely the target, and of course it would be, it has to be. But Argentina certainly missing him as well as they struggle in Bowl qualifying. And we'll talk more tomorrow about CONCACAF and where things stand there. Mexico beating El Salvador in their opener, by the way. And now they get Honduras. Honduras lost to Canada. Good, good, a huge result for the Canadians. Certainly. Good result for the Canadians. What does that say about Honduras? And were they looking ahead? To Mexico. They had to go on the road to play Canada. Will they, will they be better against Mexico? Uh, that's, they, they're gonna have to be. They wanna have a shot to make it into, uh, into the, um, the, the hex. Alright, so after one game, obviously it's, it's very early. Mexico 
three nothing win over El Salvador. Canada with a one nothing win over Honduras. Uh, so those two teams bottom of the heap in Group A. Panama with a win and Costa Rica with a win as they open up their uh, Group B action this weekend. And then Group C, obviously, United States, 6-1 winners over St. Vincent and the Grenadines. Trinidad and Tobago beating Guatemala 2-1. Setting up tomorrow night's game in Port of Spain, where the United States will play Trinidad and Tobago. And we'll learn something about Jurgen Klinsmann's team. We'll learn more about what he is trying to do to get them ready to really move into this qualifying round. And, hey, if you win in, at TNT, I don't care how it happens, I'll be happy. 3-4-7, you're on the air. Hey, what's up, man? It's Eddie Bozo. What's going on, Eddie? Um, yeah, all these people that kept telling me that Costa Rica was only successful because of Jorge Luis Pinto. <laughs> I saw you tweet that, and I was wondering if that was going to come up. Um, I don't think I was one of those people, was I? No, I don't think you were. But I remember there were a lot of people especially when Costa Rica, um, after one shot had officially gotten the job and he started losing games, that was the, you know, the people from the outside looking in, that was the one thing that they pointed at as if he hadn't won five, six games in a row before that. Like mm-hmm. that, it, it wasn't a, a Pinto problem when he was winning, but when he started losing after, then it was a Pinto problem. But, you know, it's kind of hard to win in, in Honduras if you're Pinto, if you don't have, as well, Campbell. Sure. If you don't have a, a Borges, if you don't have a Caleb Navas, like where, well, well, his, you know, his diehard apologist now. That's that's all I'm trying to figure well, out. Well, I mean, how do you feel? How do you feel? I mean, look, uh, Pinto, uh, the Pinto made his name. I mean, made he put himself up there <clears throat> based on their results, and then obviously the Winch, the Winchop uh, situation was, I mean, disastrous end for him. The way things went down. Um, but so I, I think that there's obviously some question about whether or not Costa Rica had the continuity to keep it going. And, and I think you've been, you've been relatively down at various points. I mean, I don't think you've ever said they're not going to qualify or they can't make it to the hex, but I mean, it's not like you've been up on them the whole time. So where do you, where are you right now? Um, it's really, it's been, uh, injuries have really, um, tested our depth and as much as, I'm big on a lot of these younger players. I'm not necessarily sure that they can carry the team to the point where they are now. So, like, Borges, uh, Borges had to leave the game against Haiti hurt. Uh, Duarte is hurt. Venegas is hurt. Now, we have, yeah, we have Kendall Watson who can step in, and we have Christian Bolanius who's now back with the national team. But the Tejeda injury is still one that concerns me because we really don't have a number six that, uh, that can play that role. And then, you know, now us is touch and go now with his, uh, with his muscle injury. So we have to tackle Patrick Pemberton while I'm not necessarily sold on him. So it's more, it's more than, more than the coach. It's, it's what we have available. Um, Machio, I think Machio has been doing a pretty good job of continuing what one chop was doing and identifying the local talent. But it, again, it's, it's, it's not really, it, to me, it was never really who's in charge. It's more so the talent that we have available. And I think injuries, I've really been hitting us this year. Well, I mean, it's clear. I think what we see with Costa Rica is that, you know, there is a, there's a solid group. There's a core, right? There's a, there, there's some very talented players, but in this generation, but it's, it's a matter of, it's a matter of depth, right? So you, you're, especially, and, and with a country like Costa Rica, it's very unlikely that you're going to develop, you know, too deep at every position that can go out and beat teams like Mexico and the United States. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's, that's not really what I was calling, though. I just wanted to kind of take a shot at what it's been to. Um, I know. 
Ah, it's all right, Eddie. It's my, uh, way. It's right. my way to do it. No, I was actually calling because I missed the show last week when you guys were talking about the U.S.'s ban on heading. Yeah. And um, and I, I coach, on top of being awesome in Costa Rica, I coach uh, basically from U5 to U12s, and my main focus is, is at the U8 level. And all these people who, who are, like, really against it, First of all, I love it when people who, who aren't out there on a daily basis, on the daily grind, coaching at this level, when they have stuff to say about coaching at that, what should be done at this level. Like, don't tell me what I, I should and shouldn't be doing. But me personally, I've been with this group that I have now, my main group, for about a year and a half. I haven't even coached anything to do with heading. Yeah. Like, not one, but, not but, one but single block. But that's your choice, right? That's your choice. You're not doing that because you think it's going to hurt the kids. You're doing that because you want to develop the other skills first. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, my, my main argument is there's so much footwork that needs to be learned. Like, where are you finding the time to teach him the head? Like, yeah. if you really want to develop a technical player, no matter what I, no matter what my practice will, no matter what my session is going to revolve around, I, I'll make sure that I open every session where they're doing at least 20 minutes of just technical footwork. Like, that's all they're doing. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I, every single session. Yeah, and I had this thought. Look, I mean, obviously the ban starts, uh, it goes up to 10, and then there's limited whatever, 11 to 13, whatever, whatever that ban, uh, whatever the, the actual decision was. And I wondered at the time, and this is why I wanted to talk to coaches, especially over at the Sirius uh, Satellite Show, is uh, my, my thought was, okay, well, is this actually – doing is this going to have any real impact because if it does if it's like if people are like moaning if coaches are like throwing up their hands going what we can't head what the hell then then they're probably not doing exactly what they should be doing for the kids at that age exactly what you're saying eddie yeah i mean i i play i play a lot of teams sometimes where they their main focus like they'll play the long ball and then i have to take the time during my sessions to teach my kids how to defend the long ball, which it kind of infuriates me that I have to take my time to coach my kids how to deal with their inefficiencies. Yeah. Um, but uh, when, when, when I coach that, when it comes time to, to dealing with the long ball, I basically teach them how to trap it with different parts of their body. Because if you're heading it, more likely than not, at this age, if they're heading it, you're just going to hand it right back to them. You're not, yeah, you're not getting control. Like, possession of the ball. Exactly. So, exactly. so I, I try to teach them how to trap it uh, with various parts of their body. Like that's that's the main part of that session. And even you know, um, so so when they trap it and then put it, put the ball on the ground and then we go. It's like look, if they want to launch the ball, they're just giving us the ball. Good, I'll take it. And then we go. And there's more touches for us. And at no point am I thinking had the ball. Even even when it happens in games, I you know I, I make a point on on the sideline. I'm like, look, don't head the ball back. You're just giving them the ball back. I want the ball trapped. Well, so I, I, I go out of my way to tell them not to head the ball. Well, I also wonder about. I mean, again, you you have this. You know this uh, from coaching that, that. And I've you know I've seen some 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 youth soccer. It's not like I've uh, I've only watched professional soccer, but I don't. I'm not involved enough to know. You, you're not dealing with. All right, you're not dealing with a bunch of kids who know how to back down a defender to win a ball in the air. You're not dealing with a bunch of kids who really have the coordination yet to to be to be able to handle a long ball that's in the air that they need to go up and head. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like it, like it just it seems to me like it would just be a mess of kids trying to figure out what to do. Why wouldn't you want the ball? I mean, look, you you want to you want to hit the ball long? Fine. Hit the ball long. But if you're if you're dealing with kids going up for for a for a header, I mean that 
to me sounds like a recipe not, not for disaster or an injury, although that certainly can be a concern if you've got kids hitting their heads on each other. But just it doesn't do anything for the soccer. No, I mean, for the most part, at this age, you're not going to see two kids really go up for the ball together like, like you right. would see. Like yeah. most, most of the injuries that you see is because it's, it's, a, it's a duel. You won't necessarily see that at this level. It's mainly like one kid will shy away and the other one is just going to, you know, she has perfect form of heading the ball where he wants to head it. It just ends up going nowhere. Right. So it's not necessarily like I get people that they worry about, um, about injuries. I don't really think I've never seen it that way. But even still, man, some of these balls are really hard, and I get a yeah. headache yeah. when I hit the ball, and I can only imagine, you know, yeah. small, fragile brains like that. Yeah, I, I, I think that on, in one way, it's it's okay to err on the side of caution when we're talking about kids' brains. And, and you know, Eddie, you got a kid. I know he's a he's a budding superstar, going to represent Costa Rica or Mexico, maybe. I don't know. Uh, down the line, maybe the United <laughs> States, if we get lucky. Uh, I know you got a budding superstar, but I, I'm sure that when you look at your kid and go, "I want him to be the best player he could possibly be," you're not you're not you know you're not willing to sacrifice his brain for that. No, no, not at all. I mean, sometimes you got to remember that these kids are seven, eight years old, like yeah. you forget sometimes, but yeah. it's still, it's still in the back of your head, like player safety. Like I had a, I had a, uh, basically postpone a game that was, I was scheduled to play on uh, as an away game yesterday because a player safety, you know, you, mm. it, it always is in the back of your mind yeah. that, yeah, you know, you want to develop players, but they got to go home. Eventually they have to yeah. do homework. They have to get to class the next day. Yeah, I mean, this is, this so, is, this is true about all you sports in this country. I mean, that's my frame of reference, right? I, I, I've been around, uh, football. I mean, I, I'm, I remember, you know, I started when I was 12 playing football, but there were, there were kids who were out there at seven and eight years old playing tackle football, you know, full helmets, pads, everything else. I've seen it in baseball where these parents are so intent on turning their kids into college players in scholarships or pros that they're dumping, you know, thousands of dollars into these travel teams and we're, we're outfitting them in these uniforms. I mean, in, in obviously basketball, AAU and, and other stuff, it's, it's huge and, and we lose. We lose sight of, like you said, you, they're seven and eight years old. You lose sight of, of the, the fact that they're kids, and we put way too much emphasis on on turning them into to something that they have very li- – I mean, the chances are so small. Yeah, you want to give a kid every opportunity to turn himself into a great player if he has that ability, if he's um, if there's if there's talent there, if there's commitment there, if he wants to do it. But you should never sacrifice his – his childhood, you should never sacrifice his safety, you should never sacrifice um, you know, the good of the child on the altar of let's make a professional. And I and, and I sitting at this level talking about the game as we do and and doing it uh nationally and talking about professional soccer and where American soccer is going and how we develop all these kids, it's easy to think to forget that they're people and forget that they're little people and forget that they need to be protected. And I'm sorry if I sound like some some you know crazy parent right now, but I do. You have to keep this stuff in mind because ultimately, I'd rather have a completely healthy, happy, uh, headache-free, smart kid at 25 who didn't turn out to be a player than some kid who's going to be dealing with migraines for the rest of his life because um, it was it was really important he learned how to head the ball at nine or ten years old. No, I agree. That's why I think U.S. soccer didn't do enough. Like, I think U.S. soccer should start banning tournaments. I think yeah. tournaments, especially at the, you know, before U11, they're the worst yeah. thing imaginable for development. I've seen coaches completely sacrifice their morals, their values, their ethics just to get a win in tournaments. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They should ban, I would ban parents from the sidelines 
like just don't show up to the game because parents really destroy my team chemistry. Yeah. Just screaming stuff on the sideline, especially when they try to get all tactical. Ban parents, ban tournaments, ban launching. Uh, like it's, I'm not trying to sound holier than thou, but like those are the three things. Yeah. Like I would love to coach a team of orphans if I could, just because <laughs> I wouldn't have to deal with parents. Yeah, well, that's a, then we get into access and money and costs and pay to play, Eddie, and we don't. I mean, <laughs> that's another. Well, yeah, the, yeah, that's that's a whole other that's a whole other animal. Yeah, all right, man, it's a good perspective, and uh, uh, appreciate the phone call, Eddie. Thanks a lot, man. All right, man. Okay. Eddie in Brooklyn, good stuff from him, as always. All right, a couple more minutes for phone call, 646-832-3909 if you have thoughts on anything. Again, we, you know, I'm, I'm willing to go back and talk about stuff we missed last week. I mean, we're going to cover, uh, we're covering what's happening this week. We're covering what's happening this weekend. Uh, we, we, we obviously talk about the Cosmos winning the NASL title and good for them. Um, uh, Raul going out as a champion. Marco Senna going out as a champion. Saw some pictures of them being carried off the field. Fantastic stuff. They won the soccer bowl, which I saw a lot of people drinking stuff out of. Let's be sanitary, people. Let's not get, let's not pass germs around. Got to be careful with this, this stuff. I'm kidding, of course. Drink as much as you want out of the cup, as long as you're, as long as you got to ride home. So Raul and Marco Senna and the New York Cosmos are champions of the NASL in 2015. We have yet to crown an MLS Cup champion. That's still, man, that's still three weeks away before we get to MLS Cup 2015. Uh, Steven underscore MC19. A team of orphans, Oliver Twist FC. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go, Oliver Twist. Yeah, uh, the, or- the orphans out there, the artful dodger out there running around. Just, just, just making people look stupid. It is unbelievable. Look at the artful Dodger go. Look at him. All right. 646-832-3909. Bob Bradley, um, our man Robert in Southern California brings it up. I did mention it in the news. Bob Bradley losing his first game as Lahav coach, uh, in the, in the, uh, the French Cup to a sixth division team. Does that, does that augur bad things for Mr. Bradley in France? Or is it a matter of getting, uh, accustomed to the game there? Is certainly understanding his team, knowing who he has available to him that can go out and play, uh, soccer, uh, you know, play good soccer, win games. And to, to lose 2-1, they never came back. They, they gave up two game, two goals in the first half and could not come back. Losing 2-1 to a sixth division team. Not a good way to start for, for Mr. Bradley. But, um, I imagine, uh, there's still, uh, uh, plenty of time for him to get this fixed. Uh, to say that it's over after one game is the wrong attitude, obviously. You don't hire a guy, have him come in, have him lose a game, and then say that that's uh, a bad decision or, or it's over. But, uh, going out of the, uh, the French Cup in the, in the first round that he participated into a six division team, not good. Not good. All right. Uh, looks like the phone calls have finally died down. You guys are done on a Monday. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll certainly uh, preview the United States against Trinidad and Tobago. Talk about these European qualifiers. Bosnia, Herzegovina, and Ireland today for the right to go into Euro 2016. And again, I, I said it off the top. We talked about it a bit in light of the attacks in Paris. What does that mean for Euros, uh, for Euro 2016? 
the organizing committee, the, the head of that organizing body saying, hey, you know, we're not moving it. We're not canceling it. Of course, he's going to say that. He wants to be resolute. He wants to present a strong front. And honestly, you move the tournament, you give in. That's probably not the right message either. For the abhorrent individuals who do not represent their, uh, their, their religious compatriots, by the way, uh, it would be the wrong message to say we're going to move the tournament because of these things. There will be heightened security, I imagine. Uh, we are steaming very quickly towards that tournament. I mean, these things are coming up more quickly than you imagine. Only a couple weeks until Thanksgiving, and then, or a week and a half till Thanksgiving, and then we get into the Christmas season and winter, and then we, uh, the club season start to really ramp up, start, certainly in, in, in uh, England with the festive period, and then next thing you know, it's 2016. And it's the dawn of Euros, Copa America in the United States, Copa America Centenario, Copa Fantastico, Copa Fantastica, whichever one's correct. I know which one's correct, but whatever. All right, thanks uh, very much to producer Trevor for his patience this morning with our technical issues. Thanks to everybody who called in. Um, go follow us on Twitter, at Soccer Morning. Hit us up there. We've got some things we're working on. There are some of you out there who are uh, disgruntled for various reasons. I'm going to be on top of that. We're going to start addressing those situations, and um, hopefully everything gets sorted out in the near future. If it was in totally within my control or our control over here, we would have everything sorted. Trust me. We're working that out. Uh, in the meantime, uh, just uh, appreciate your patience. All right. Good to be back, guys. Man, good to be back. Good to talk some soccer with you on a Monday. We'll be back on uh, Tuesday. Another episode. Of Soccer Morning right here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Later. Did my invitations disappear? What I put my heart